There we go. Try again. Yeah. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Sustainiacs for the second time today because I didn't hit record. So we're <laughs> going to do all that over and hopefully it comes out as brilliant as it was. Trust me, if if, if it isn't, it was. It was amazing. We're the Sustainiacs. We connect companies, artists, consumers, civilians, products, everybody together so they can live intentionally with ease, showing people how a little bit of change in their life can do wonderful things for this environment, for this planet that we're all living on and, and interacting with uh, on a daily basis. I'm Michael Vincent. She's Emma Whiteman. Emma, please introduce yourself. We've got a great show to get to, as I could tell you from the last 10 minutes that I didn't record. Yeah. So, uh, you know me, Emma, I'm here. I'm here ready to talk today to Rosie Sherwood. She's a UK based artist who's doing really, really cool stuff for the environment and environmental protection. And we can't wait to talk to her all about her art. So Rosie, welcome to the show. We're very excited to have you on today. Thank you so much. It's so great to be here. This is very exciting. I like podcasts. I'm a podcast fan. <laughs> I like doing them. Well, they're yeah. awesome. And this is this is growing this is growing quite quite quickly. And thanks to to people like yourself that will come on because when people go into here, they might run into the sustainability officer for Uber Freight, or they might run into Rosie Sherwood. Uh so it's kind of it's a mix. It's all yeah. across the board. It's very, very cool stuff. You are very, very interesting to me because we are related through ocean plastic technologies. I don't know if you realize that or not, but we are. Um, so researching what you, what you do and, and, and what is going on there, it's, it's a bit of a conundrum to me. It's, it's, it's interesting. Explain to people when they go to rosiesherwood.com, rosiesherwood.com, um, <laughs> what, uh, what, what are they going to, what are they going to, what are they going to see there? And what are they going to find out? Cause you're very, very interesting stuff. Uh, they are going to find a sort of, uh, cross section of what I do as an artist, uh, ready to be. Uh, explored and and enjoyed i hope they will find um sort of some different galleries of the different mediums that i work in so they will find an archive of my photography that i have been doing since i was 17 and was bought my first camera um, they will find an archive of my sculptures um they will find an archive of my book art uh, and then they will find links to finding out more about me most particularly my Substack newsletter so it seems like you have a lot of different platforms for what you do art. Do you want to, like, if someone had five minutes to check out their art, where would you encourage them to go first on your website? Um, it sort of depends what people are interested in. I think art, you kind of need to gravitate to the warden that you are the find, find most appealing. Mm -hmm. I would say the thing that uh, in my sort of, the thing that maybe has been the foundation and the, and the leaping off point for my career as an artist has been both my photography uh, and my book art, which is what I did my, so my photography was my undergraduate degree. My book art was my master's. Um, and, and book art is a nice place to start because most people don't know what it is. Yeah. <laughs> so. I have no idea. I, like, I, I think of a coffee table book. Yeah. Right. So most people do. Most people think of, you know, the exhibition catalog they bought when they went to a gallery or museum and they wanted to right. bring, it, bring something home and couldn't afford the paintings. Um, or they or they think of a, you know, nice collection of National Geographic photos. Hey, 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 I, 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 okay, so a book art, one of my parents had Tutankhamun and we talked about that. I didn't record that. They had the gold of Tutankhamun. But the other thing that they had was uh, Monet, right? Yeah. And so, so then when I was living in Toledo, Ohio, Monet actually came and toured. I mean, wow. not 
in person. Painted. They brought obviously they brought the artwork, right? And, it, and so they toured the United States, but they did it in banks because the the pictures were hanging in bank vaults. Wow. And so it inspired it inspired me to go. And I found out something there that I never would have, and it sticks with me obviously uh low these 36 years since I did that was that the water lilies are the size of garage doors. Yeah. They're, they're huge. Huge. So, wow. so those coffee table books are are so valuable to getting art out into the world. Um, yeah. I love them. I want my work in them. I, you know, they're great. Um, but book art is the, rather than a place for the reproduction of paintings where no one knows how big or small they might have been, mm-hmm. uh, Book, book art is is um, the book as an art object in its own right. So the creator will have been thinking about everything from its content to its design to its binding to its size as a way of expressing meaning and the ideas behind the work. Um, and it can they can look very book like or they can look very sort of un book like. <laughs> okay, they yeah. get quite far away from books, but as with most art, it it's book art if the artist says it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, artist interpretation, right? So it's like different. It's like a, a book about cake uh, might be a cake that, or it looks like cake, but it's actually a book, right? I mean, it's like the opposite. It's a, my, I mean, my, you've seen the, you've seen the videos where it's, swear it's a shoe, but it's a cake, right? It's not a shoe. It's a cake, right? This is not a, a cake that looks exactly like a book. Well, I don't know. I don't know. I would argue with that. Yeah, because my, my sister is a is a novelist. Um, yeah. When her first novel came out, I made what I would term a piece of book art cake because I made her novel as a cake. <laughs> oh, so it's really interpretive. Whatever you think, really that's what it, it was. Book art cake. <laughs> well, so if I took it to the literal and I just said, "Okay, look, I'm, I'm going to make a, a write about automotive stuff," and I just made it look like a garage, that that would be. Well, I mean, but it doesn't have. To, yes, if you wanted to, but it doesn't have to be that literal. Yeah, so- but that, that's- Seems what like we're learning too- is Michael is not necessarily an artist. That's what we're learning oh, here. Oh, there's no, where you're wrong. There's where you're wrong. I am, and I have been an artist, and both my parents were professional watercolor artists. Wow. Okay, I got proved wrong. There you go. One of the, <laughs> one of the pieces of work in the world that probably to most people would not be book art because it's a novel uh, is on the road. But the the first time I saw the original manuscript for On the Road, I was like, oh, he made a piece of book art and he wanted it published like that because what he'd actually done is written it as a scroll so that it was like this never ending road of text that you had to keep unraveling. And he took it to the publishers and was like, publish it like this. And they went, no, (laughs) what are you talking about? And there are a couple of um, artist book publishers out there that make sort of bigger editions rather than the ones the artists make themselves. And I really want someone to make On the Road as a scroll. Because that's what yeah. it is. Because that's part of the that's meaning. That's cool. <laughs> so. Do they get do they get pushback from people who say no, no, the book is actually the art. It's the word. It's the literature. Yeah, yeah, but like you see his real one, and you go, oh, I, yeah, I get it. There's there's I a whole it. other layer cool. of meaning in in the form that cool. you could. You know. cool. uh, so so you could start so with the art, um, or or I would say my photography, which is the thing I've been doing longest. Right. So, okay. So you, so you bought a camera, you bought a camera when you were 17 and then you started getting into book art and stuff like that, which is really, really cool. How, how does, because there, there's, everybody thinks that, that, that if you're, you're this evangelist for environmental uh, concerns and plastics in the ocean, et cetera, that 
that you tend to be this uh, towards the more creative side, towards the more sensitive, I guess more, I guess it's because of the sensitivity of artists more and musicians, mm-hmm. et cetera, as artists. But there are a ton of engineers that are into it as well. What, what, and, and tons of artists who, who really aren't, but what is the, what, what made you, uh, have you always been environmentally conscious or what made you go towards this? What we're going to talk about here really soon is this climate uh, change superhero in, uh, evangelizing and fighting for the environment in which we live in? Um, That's a really nice question. I've always been environmentally conscious. Um, I've always loved nature. I grew up in uh, the middle of North London, um, but I luckily grew up right next to one of London's biggest and wildest and oldest parks. Um, So despite living in the city, uh, I spent a lot of time in the green. Um, so that's that's always been a part of my life and a part of my love and a part of my uh, sort of general inspiration for being. Um, in terms of being an inspiration for my art, that came like in terms of ecology and 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 climate yeah. crisis being an inspiration for my art. That came um, sort of relatively more recently doesn't it it's not that recent anymore it was sort of 2017 probably that i began working in the environment um and i'd I'd had an idea for a piece of work that i thought was going to be about uh psychogeography and artists mapping and maps and sort of artists that make work but they go for walks uh and then i realized that i couldn't in good conscience, make a piece of work out in the environment without making a piece of work that was about what we're doing to the environment and it didn't work for me oh wow i love the work made by people where they you know richard long and his ilk where they go for a walk and they make a piece of work about having gone for a walk it's beautiful and i adore it but i realized i i couldn't uh so and that kind of my art pre that had been about comic books and time so it took a huge left turn and uh went off that's really that's really cool (laughs) <laughs> that's really cool so was it more like an andy warhol type of thing that you were doing like more comic book type of stuff is it um, like pop pop culture type of stuff or? i was making i was making abstract comics as book art so i was making like bronze sculptures that were just the gutter in the comic and empty holes and ones where it was white panels with white speech bubbles on white paper um and you could actually see them it was shades of white <laughs> oh okay that's that's really cool and that's so then you had this like yeah. and someone threw an acorn and hit you in the head and you said wait a minute. yeah pretty much i was going you know yeah. I was gonna keep making book art go for a walk and see what happened and then i was like oh no um what happened was that it completely changed my life <laughs> so have it you com- found that by making art about the environment you feel a deeper sense of connection do you feel like it's helped um influence other people to be more you know eco-conscious how do you feel like since 2017 that's shaped I mean, obviously, it's really shaped your art. Do you feel like it's shaped other aspects of your life and other people as well around you? It's completely changed my life, um, yeah. completely and totally. Um, uh, I do a lot of research for my art, and you can't start reading scientific reports and talking to uh, ecologists and marine biologists about the state of the world without it like pushing what I thought I was doing well even further um, in terms of diet and you know single-use plastics and things that I was like I was good at this and then it's like mm-hmm. oh no <laughs> there was a lot there was a lot more a lot more to go um it's changed my way of being 
in the natural world um and yeah it's changed it's i think it's probably changed people around me to a degree friends and family uh they certainly know more than they did i don't know whether that was voluntary on their part or they're just kind <laughs> and they listen and it's changed sort of you know almost every aspect of of my life i stopped about a year and a half ago i stopped using any hair product and now just wash my hair with bicarbonate soda and apple cider vinegar because they're both okay for the planet and all the hair product is not <laughs> uh, yeah no it, it's that so it's little inten- it's little intentional things and you said you start to see this starts to rub off on people around you right as you're doing it and they see you kind of doing this, I think, well, wait a minute, that's, that's kind of easy to do. Right. And, well, and tiny and I thing, think, like I, I changed my deodorant because like, yeah. I found one that comes in a little recyclable tin and is a sort of yeah. really lovely waxy thing. And you just put it on with your fingers and it's way more effective than anything you can buy in supermarkets. And it does oh, right. single yeah. use unrecyclable plastic thing full that's of chemicals. Cool. That is very cool. So yeah. Like, yeah. Pick up started changing like, Oh, I could, I could, do this little thing differently and I could buy this little thing differently and I I stopped buying new clothes unless yeah. they come from eco-friendly clothing companies otherwise oh, everything I go. buy is second hand um, you know, oh, and, and wow. those were okay. changes where I had always bought second hand clothes because I grew up near Camden Market but it was never with the intention of like no that's all I'm going to buy because also buying things from high street shops is terrible because fast right. fashion is awful for the planet um, and it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's had this like trickle my arts had this like trickle down effect into into my life uh, which so I it's living yeah. with intention and it's these small changes that really do add up and you're you're now that you are aware of the issue it's just that little tiny bit of intention that you bring into every aspect of your life including your art including your hair care routine including your your outfit like you can bring a little bit of intentional living the, the 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 climate crisis is so huge and so uh overwhelming and can be so depressing and can really feel like there's just nothing we can do at all um and and in some ways those those are all very accurate feelings and and very fair and there's a limit to what the individual can do um and then in the other but then in other ways it's like well you can only do the best you can do and if every individual planet every individual on this planet does the best they can do sure. the strides forward we would make are huge yeah yeah exactly <laughs> that's exactly the message even if you i mean just do the best that you can do and things will change tremendously don't sit there and go well i can't do it perfectly therefore i i shouldn't even try it. that's ridiculous but there is you know there is no perfectly so you know there lots, isn't lots of people can't afford to make giant changes to where like where they buy their food or they don't have access to buying directly i live in the countryside right. and near the sea so i have access to buying directly from farms but mm-hmm. living in cities don't have that choice right. not everyone can afford to put solar panels on their roof uh, sure. they, not right. but but you could go to a like energy company that is eco-friendly rather than just sticking with the one you've always like it's it's just that sort of you know check out how eco-friendly your bank is and change your bank because that costs you nothing and makes yeah huge difference so it's it's just that sort of like you know not there is no perfect in this so let's no do no there isn't the best that we can afford to do Right. So let, let's let's talk about something that does its part, and um, you deemed it, uh, and I'm interested in this. Is uh, obviously, and so is the audience, because that's why they tuned in. 
<laughs> who is? Let introduce us to the climate uh, change superhero. Who is mm. this superhero, and and why is this? Uh, yeah, superhero? so um, Seagrass, uh, which. I think even 12 months ago, nobody would have really heard of, but because it's become such a, at least in the UK, has become a, a sort of buzzword at the moment and a, and a, and a like, major, like, thing that everybody's been like, oh my god, uh, because it's such a superhero in the fight against the climate crisis, uh, which is a lovely phrase, uh, not my phrase, I, I will happily oh, okay. borrow it, uh, but it was uh, a phrase from um, the National Marine Aquarium who I've been working with. It was it was oh, okay, their cool. phrase, and I shall be using it because it's excellent. Um, it so is. Yeah, I love those, it. <laughs> for those that don't know what seagrass is, and very fair if you don't, um, it is the world's only uh, flowering underwater plant. Um, it doesn't flower the way we imagine and sort of no terrestrial flowers, but it uh, it does flower and it seeds. Um, it's often confused for seaweed because it grows alongside and amongst seaweed, um, but it grows in beautiful meadows of, of underwater grass and it really does look like a grass. It's a long, wavy, green you know, green grass. Yeah. Grass yeah. Yeah. No, I've run across it before. Uh, and it's, um, it does so much for the planet and therefore for us. Um, it's one of those, um, like essential cogs in the, the very finely tuned instrument that, that is this planet, uh, that is very good at looking after itself. If you don't knock all the cogs out of place. Uh, so seagrass is, a nursery for small fish and young, you know, baby fish, a uh, place for um, marine animals to like, lay their eggs, all that sort of stuff, because they're protected from uh, any predators that would feed on oh, okay. them. They're like, okay. you know, like hiding in the woods, essentially, when you're when you're under when you're under the water. Um, it uh, will help prevent cliff erosion because it changes water patterns because it cr creates a bit of uh, resistance under the water. Oh, yeah. Buffers, um, right? Yeah, yeah, buffers. It helps like um, keep the water clean. Uh, but the reason that it is a sort of major superhero in the fight against the climate crisis is that it is one of the world's most efficient plants at drawing down and sequestering carbon from the atmosphere. Uh, so everybody is likely to know that forests and rainforests are great at sequestering carbon and they store it and like we need them and that's why we plant trees and why we try and stop uh, established uh, woodlands and rainforests from being chopped down when a tree dies it releases the carbon that was stored like that was stored in it uh, so every time that you when they die naturally that's fine but anytime uh, loggers cut down vast swathes of you know the amazon uh one of the reasons that's so terrible is it, it releases the carbon that those trees have been storing for hundreds of years. Hmm. Now that's hundreds wow. of years. Seagrass can sequester carbon away for thousands, if not tens of thousands of years, because it wow. does it in the sediment among its root system. And if you leave that undisturbed, it'll just sit there. If you disturb it, it, it also gets released back into the atmosphere. So not on a only are we creating new carbon, uh, but we are releasing oh, carbon. To enjoy our old being, all over again. Being harmless, yeah. out of the wow. way for thousands, if not tens of thousands of years. Um, 
so seagrass is majorly under threat we lose like yeah so uh, tell me about that what what is going on what is what is it that's threatening it rosie i we we, i we i think we you established just how important it is i had no idea that it sequestered so much carbon was that big yeah i did know that the majority of our i did know that the majority of our oxygen actually comes out of the oceans it's not the forest um it's it's called it's called blue carbon cycle so seagrass is part of how carbon cycles through our oceans Which so what's threatening it? This is oxygen, and also how part of how it draws carbon out of our atmosphere. Yeah, what's threatening it? Threatening it? What? what why so is it? Why... On, um, like local community basis is what's threatening it. Um, bad mooring habits. If anyone owns a boat, you don't really know seagrass is there. It's quite a fragile ecosystem. If you drop your anchor on top of it, you will destroy the piece you dropped your anchor onto, and it will take mm. a while to recover. Um, so there are people in the UK, including the Ocean Conservation Trust, who I've been working with, who have designed floating mooring systems above seagrass meadows so that people can moor their boats without an- anchoring into the seagrass. Oh, cool. So yeah. they can change that, which is great. Um, farm runoff changes, obviously, the like pH balance and the acid balance and the nutrients balance in the ocean will create algal blooms and just pollutants. And, and that kills all plants, including seagrass. Uh, but on an industrial scale, uh, seabed dredging, the like scallop fishing, any piece of like the fishing industry that dredges our seabed will indiscriminately rip up the seagrass for wow. miles. Yeah. Release yeah. All the so like oyster so like oyster farms would uh, help that, right? Because you're you're farming a specific section over and over yeah. and over again. So there's a great uh, research group here at the moment who are scallop farming on like drop down pieces of um uh, just like, you know, like sort of hanging pieces. They got like rod floating yeah, on yeah, the yeah. surface and yeah. then it's got the Almost like a beehive. Um, so that you don't have to go anywhere near the seabed floor. Interesting. Part of how you have a healthy sea and a healthy planet is if the seabed floor is yeah. actually... So, so is plastic a, a threat? Uh, the, yeah, uh, I mean, plastic, plastic is a threat. Uh, plastic is a threat to existence. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, no, it is. But I mean, is it is it one of the things that is harming this as well? Yeah, I mean, if you go snorkeling over a seagrass meadow... It, it grows in shallow waters around the world, which means it often right. grows close to humanity. Um, mm. And if you go snorkeling in amongst it, you will find waste plastic. Mm. Like, instead of, you know, sitting there amongst it, um, which is obviously going to be releasing all sorts of, you know, crap. And it's also just landing on top of it. <laughs> Anything that lands on top of it is, you know, it's it's like walking indiscriminately over a flower bed. <laughs> okay. I'd also be interested in the microplastics because I wonder if there's any sort of uptake of microplastics. So I'm a marine biologist, actually. Um, So and I I did a huge study on microplastics. So I'd actually wonder if somehow these plants are also intaking microplastics, which is affecting their uptake systems getting clogged and stuff, which we have seen in other systems in the ocean. So that would be a super interesting thing. Maybe I'll look I that up think, after this. I would think so. I am sure the folks busy working out how to protect what we have and uh, regenerate what sure. we've lost, which is a really laborious process because you have to go out to the healthy ones and like collect their seeds individually. Right. I would imagine those seeds have probably 
you know, either got microplastics inside them already from being absorbed right. into the plant or are being reduced because the plant has microplastics growing into right. its like shared root system. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so like it's it's a mess. And it's yeah. it is a mess. that is trickier to yeah. regrow than planting a tree by quite a long way like oh yeah i bet it is is. with a lot more sort of like research and unknowns about it than than going out and and planting a bunch of trees uh so So i guess my question is sorry rosie you can finish so i guess my question would be like i know that trees store all of this carbon and but but less so compared to the seagrasses is the the effort and the labor that goes into it to restoring and regrowing these seagrass beds is that like on a scale sense, I, I'm struggling yeah. with how I want to phrase this, but like with on a scale, like if it's so much easier to plant a tree and just plant a seed versus putting, well, I, I'm I not think, trying to diminish the work that you're doing at all. I'm just yeah. trying to think to myself is like, are we spending more effort and energy on doing this than it would be to just plant all the trees that are needed to. Really good question. You know what I mean? The, the, the speed at which seagrass can intake carbon and, and the and the data sort of differs from bits of bit you know from different bits of sure. research but the consensus the general consensus even if the numbers differ slightly mm-hmm. is that speed and a sort of efficiency with which seagrass sequesters carbon mm-hmm. is so much greater than than and mm. it's not just so seagrass um uh mangrove forests and uh, salt marshes interesting kind of the, okay the, the three of them are the sort of marine-esque environments that do it the best um but it, it's it's so much more efficient at it than forests are that it is very much worth the effort because like if you if you you'd need you'd need to reforest so much more of the land sure. that we live on and, and then that land use right exactly we're using it for something right yeah then right. you would so- need to regenerate seagrass meadows that's a good point where we're not living and we don't need them and we could change our marine habits and live very happily <laughs> that's a good point so 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 rosie i've got i've got pictures from the the seagrass walk and um the the lights that we see on this on the on those pictures uh, uh hanging above are made out of ocean, reclaimed ocean plastics yes, from uh, uh OPT made those ocean plastic technologies out of South Durban did that opt.earth by the way is where you go to check those guys out um when people see this or or see it on your website or see it through other publications or actually see it in person um the average joe or mike or the average emma or the <laughs> average rosie what what is what are you hoping for them to do upon exiting that exhibit right so that's that's lovely um so the seagrass walk is a space at the national marine aquarium which is the uk's biggest aquarium and is the sort of public front to the ocean conservation trust which is a marine conservation charity um uh so the aquarium is obviously part of how they raise their money and part of how they educate Mm -hmm. um and one of the places that they do their research, uh, you can see their labs as you wander around the aquarium, which is great. They've got windows into the, you know, where they're doing their research, including where they do mm-hmm. some of their seagrass research. Uh, so the seagrass walk 
um, is an immersive uh, multimedia uh, space within the aquarium that includes uh, some very lovely tanks designed by the uh, curator at the aquarium, whose job is to curate tanks rather than curate galleries, which I love. I love that they still use the word curator. Um, That's cool. Curates fish tanks. Yay. Yeah. Um, and, and they're full of, you know, crabs and pipe fish and all the things that you might find if you went snorkeling in a seagrass meadow. And then you have my work, oh, cool. um, which uh, includes uh, some underwater uh, photography, um, some underwater analog photography, because I'm old school and I still work on film, even when I'm under the water. Um, a, a piece of video art um, uh, recorded in seagrass meadows across the southwest of England. And then, as as Mike said, the the um, lights on the ceiling, um, which aren't they aren't lights in the you know you think lights on the ceiling okay light bulbs these are um, panels panels on a the ceiling they're gorgeous sculptural panels um, designed wow. to sort of echo the shapes of the tanks around the aquarium um, created out of a, a beautiful blackened uh, aluminium. Um, and each one is covered with a unique piece of uh, panel of, of recycled ocean plastic in the sort of colours that you will find in waves and in seagrass meadows, so that you have a sense of looking up uh, into, you know, into the surface of the of the water, which is above you as you wow. walk through the aquarium. Uh, and then the end of the the end of the display has lots of the information that I'm giving in this podcast about what seagrass is, what it does, how it helps us, and how we can help it. Um, and, and that, that's what I want you to get to. Yeah. What do you, what do you, what, a, a lovely description of, of, of what is going on there. And I encourage everybody to go see it. Um, what, what is, what is that help? What can I do sitting here in the middle of Chattanooga, Tennessee? Yeah. yeah so, I mean, seagrass is, is a interesting one in terms of how do I help it? I don't live anywhere near the ocean or if I do, there's none growing here. Or if there is, I don't have a boat, so I'm not hurting it. Um, it's all the, living all the choice living intentionally choices that you make like buy a water bottle and use it don't keep buying plastic water bottles yeah are going to make a difference to seagrass they're going to make a huge difference um because you know buy less meat i'm not saying don't eat any i know people enjoy it i eat some of it but but reduce it. Have have one or two pieces with your meal a week. It'll scale back farming, and that'll help seagrass because the runoff into the oceans is so damaging. So it's it's that like thinking of it as a holistic whole really helps it. If you want to help it directly, um, there's something called Seagrass Spotter, which is a website you can go to, and if you encounter seagrass, you can go onto the Seagrass Spotter and see whether anybody's put that there's a seagrass meadow in this place, and if they haven't you can add it so people researchers will know where it is people will know to not more there because there's a seagrass meadow there it's kind of how seagrass meadows are being discovered around the uk that's cool. um the seagrass spotter is great um the world wow. is, is that does that go does that go globally i think it does i think i think it is global yeah um cool. world wildlife because we fund. have one we have one viewer in asia or two viewers in asia i don't know if you saw that yeah that's i think cool. it's global it's definitely in the uk i think it's global um cool world wildlife fund who are global um you can just generally donate but you can also specifically donate and they currently have a like relationship with some different seagrass conservation projects so if you want to literally donate money to seagrass go to the world wildlife fund and do that Mm. very Um, cool 
you know, um, donate to the Ocean Conservation Trust. They are doing one of the biggest pieces of research in the UK about how to protect seagrass. Um, and they've got a huge seagrass growing, like purpose-built lab for growing seagrass so that it can then wow. be grown healthily in the lab and then taken out and planted while it's got more chance of surviving because it's not just little seeds. Um, they would, I'm sure, very much appreciate your support to you know to do that. Very so cool. There's choices you can make that don't cost you much. And then if you have an extra you know piece of money at the end of a month at the end of your paycheck there are places where you can direct it straight to seagrass and then there are things you can do that don't cost anything write to your local if you're in the uk mp or councillors you know and say what is this what is my local town city whatever doing to protect the ocean like what are they doing please justify that to me if you're in the us write to your local councilmen and Mm. congressmen and senators and ask them the same thing um that yeah input into politics those questions are important the um national marine aquarium is in plymouth in the southwest and plymouth has a great council for its you know protection of the oceans and its protection of its land not all cities do not all cities are committed to helping our environment right and ask your elected you know your local elected officials on every level what are they doing and why aren't they doing more <laughs> and that doesn't come yeah no it. that's perfect that's beautiful if people want to reach out and uh, maybe write to you or find out more or, or say hey i'd like to commission you to do some some work for us because i love what you're doing and we need inspiration yeah. uh where do they go rosie um if they want to write to me they go to rosie at rosie um it's you know my public professional email address if right they on. want to know more about my process and my art and how I make it, they go to a Nomadic Rose on Substack, which is a free or paid, depending on how you feel. You get more for paid subscriptions, but you get weekly letters for free. Um, that is all about my art and my current adventures in converting a panel van into a off-grid tiny home from which I am. Oh, cool. Out. <laughs> Sweet. So, so that's the other I love thing. It. <laughs> that's uh, awesome and, when you get it done we, we have to get some some video of that we, we have to yeah i was actually another, thinking we should go we show. should have you on again once you do that we'll talk about oh, that yeah, heck yeah. awesome heck yeah. Very heck yeah we will talk about it i am currently building the shower which is an interesting yeah. experience i can Sweet. build things like i can i can do the like stud frames and i'm when i get to making the kitchen cabinets that's going to be fine as an artist i can do that bit i'm actually baffled by building electric and water systems but i'm getting there i'm doing it all um i'm Sweet. currently are you going to paint the outside like the mystery machine from scooby-doo kind of thing <laughs> for anybody that goes on the Substack, there's a there's a sort of logo for it that is a, a collage i made um oh, okay cool I'm turn that into an image that goes on the outside of the van i think so love it slightly branded you know i love it i love it i love it i love it hey rosie this is this has been awesome we we we, uh we're we're out of time here i know emma's got to run and the people uh want to run but we'll have you on again for for certain uh i'll be watching and keep us uh in tune with what you're you're doing and people check her out check out rosiesherwood.com go in there sign up get her newsletter do all that stuff uh, because it's really important that you understand just how important it is to not get another plastic cup of coffee and then throw it in the garbage. Get something <laughs> that you can fill mm-hmm. uh, because they it will. Means you can't even see. So They'll still sell you coffee at the Circle K into your own cup. I promise I you they will. They do will it. do it. 
it's cheaper here if you take in your own cups. Yeah, there you go. There you go. There you go. Obviously. You yeah, absolutely. Starbucks, it's cheaper. Yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> Living with uh, intention. And, and yeah, live with intention. You got mm-hmm. questions? You got topics you want us to cover? You got a company? You got a product you want to get on here? Reach us uh, at thesustainiacs at gmail.com. Go to sustainiacs.com is the, is the website. And uh, hey, we're out there. The Sustainiacs on TikTok, on Facebook, The Sustainiacs on Instagram. Uh, Emma, you're out there doing crazy I'm on stuff. I'm on Instagram also at OPT Emma. So if you'd rather just DM me, feel free. I'm always open to uh, to ideas and topics and discussion, especially with someone as cool as Rosie. So, <laughs> uh, and I am Rosie Sherwood on Instagram, and that's the best place to go for daily, almost daily, uh, just photographs of mine. I, 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 my archive is slowly but surely heading its way onto onto Instagram. So you get pictures regularly. Amazing. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. Hey, see y'all next time on The Sustainiacs. It's really lovely to be here.